Take your Bibles, turn to two places, turn to, we'll mainly be in John chapter 1. John chapter 1 is where we're mainly going to be, but also uh, put a finger if you want to in Matthew chapter 3. We'll go back and forth with John chapter 1, we'll spend most of the time there, but we'll start out with Matthew 3, hit it again, but be in John chapter 1. While you're doing that, let me say this, today after the service, out the doors to the left down the hallway in a room right, right about there, uh, we will have our first informational meeting for our... Uh, partnership trip uh, with uh, Love Guatemala that will be coming this summer. Uh, it's the hardest week you'll ever love. Uh, we will work you. Uh, we will work you hard, but you will absolutely fall in love with the people, the culture, and not only that, I promise you, you will find that God will do something in you. It will be, uh, and you could talk to anyone that has been, we have, we've taken several trips every year. I keep thinking, we can't take a trip with this many people. It, you know, last year was a great, we've done it, I think this is our seventh year this year. Last year was big. Well, this year is, you know, we're going to have some drop-off. Well, this year we're going to drop-off, and we just, we, we're not having that, and that's great. And you talk to anybody that's gone, the significance of what God has done in their life, not just through the millennium. But I would love for you to partner with me and us and with Love Guatemala and go with us uh, there. Listen, it is 11 weeks before Easter. It's kind of crazy if you think about it. It's 11 weeks and we'll be at Easter, and Easter's late this year. And uh, what I want to do is I want to invite you to get us ready for Easter starting today. That over the next 11 weeks, we are going to take a journey uh, into and through the life of history's most powerful change agent. And we're going to dive into and we're going to see the public part of his life and uh, his ministry. Uh, And we're going to look at, at some of his most challenging conversations, some of his most disturbing teaching. We're going to look at some of his most incredible acts of kindness, as well as look at him to go on to be the Savior of the world. And so we're going to take the next 11 weeks, beginning at the point in which he becomes, he starts his public ministry, all the way to the point of his death and resurrection. And we're just going to look at who Jesus is and who he was as he walked on earth. And what does it have to say to us, about us, and for us today? Now, to do that, we've got to start by, by, by reminding ourselves of something that I think, in many ways, we have forgotten. Though, and I say we, I'm talking particularly about those of us who are in Christ. Though we proclaim our faith, we say we live by our faith, and we have faith and all that, but by the way we live our faith, and often by the way we approach life, we confess that we have forgotten something that's central to who Jesus was and why he came. And it's this simple statement, that Jesus came to bring something brand new. What I mean by that is this. Jesus didn't come into the world just to give us a a refreshing of something that had gotten old. He didn't come just to give us a New Testament because we had an Old Testament, so we needed a new one to go with the old. He didn't come to give us some new moral code or to, uh, you know, give us new religious principles and precepts in order uh, and regulations in order that, that we are to live out if we are to appease our God. He didn't come to give us Judaism 2.0 and just update that. He didn't come just to add to what we already had. When you ask the question, what did Jesus come to do? There's really one simple answer, and that is he came to do something brand new. 
Now, he did that, and he, he announced that when he stepped out onto the scene. But he did not come unannounced. He wasn't surprised. Jesus had someone coming before him. In fact, it was told long ago, long before Jesus, that someone would actually show up on the scene before he would get there to say, hey, he's coming. That someone would, would step out and say, he's coming. Get ready, there's something coming. Get ready, there's something coming. Get ready. You need to get ready right now because God is about to do something. He's coming, so get ready. Kind of a Paul Revere type character that would show up on the scene and ring the alarm, the bell, and announce, hey, he's coming, so get ready. And this person was foretold. In fact, in the Old Testament, it said that there will be one a voice calling out from the wilderness that will just announce, get ready, he's coming, he's coming, he's about to show up, get yourself ready. And we learn in Matthew chapter 3 that that somebody was a guy by the name of John the Baptist. Look what it says, Matthew chapter 3, pick it up with verse 1, it says, in those days John the Baptist came, now then, uh, he's not called John the Baptist because he went to the Baptist church. He's not John the Methodist or the Lutheran or something like that. He was called John the Baptist because of his method. He would show up on the scene and he'd say, all you Jewish people, and, and baptism was a part of a Judaism as well back then, but he would come out and say, listen, you may be Jews, and you, that may be, you be, you're part of the people of God, the covenant people of God under the old covenant, the covenant that was in place at the time. You are part of the people of God, but we have walked away from God. Our hearts are not ready. We're just playing the religious game. And let me tell you something. God's about to do something new, and to get ready for it, you've got to clean yourself up. You've got you to make a statement that you're going to fall in love with God again to get yourself ready so you'll, uh, you'll connect with him. You'll see him when he comes. And one of the ways he did a symbolism of that, he'd say, Look, I don't care if you're baptized as a Jew, you need to get baptized today as a symbolism that you're cleaning yourself up, you're washing away all that mediocrity and all the sinfulness of your life. You need to do this to get ready, to get ready. And so he, that was a part of his teaching. And so as a result of him doing that, he became known and got the title of John the Baptist. So it says, in those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea. So he wasn't, he, he wasn't in the popular populated places he was out on his own doing his own thing in judea saying repent the kingdom of heaven has come near this is uh speak, this is he that's speaking of john john the baptist this is he who was spoken of through the prophet isaiah a voice of one calling in the wilderness prepare the way of the lord make straight his path so he's just out there just kind of doing his own thing, not looking for, for popularity. He's just going, hey, God's about to do something. God is about to do something. He's coming, he's coming. Get ready, get ready. And as a symbolism of you getting ready, get baptized to say you wash all that. You're getting ready, you're getting ready. And he's just, just pronouncing this and shouting this to anyone that would hear him. And he's not, you know, on the corner of a busy street. He's out in the middle of nowhere. Now, one of the reasons he was out there is just kind of a part of who John was. John was just odd. He's a little strange, a little different. In fact, look what it says in the next verse, verse 4. John's clothes were made of camel's hair. He had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. Now then, stop for a minute and think about this. Why would Matthew tell us that? Is that central to any aspect of what John was doing? No. Why did he tell us that? Because it would be the same thing. If you saw someone really odd, you'd go, hey, the John, now let me tell you something about this guy. He's a little odd. 
He's a little different. He does this or does that. That's what Matthew, he's just noticing John, looking at John, hearing about John, and he's saying, hey, I need to tell you something about it. He's just a little odd. Either he was really fashioned forward or he's just a little weird, you know, and John was just that way. And I bring that up because I think there's a great little side note to that. And that is this. You can be odd, and many of you are, because I know you. You can be odd and you can be strange, but you can still have a story. You can still have a story that God uses. You don't have to be Instagram picture perfect and all look the part before you have a voice. Be you. As odd as that may be, John was him. He was wearing camel's hair and eating locusts and honey. It was weird. He's weird to us, but even to Matthew, this guy's weird. Let me tell you about it. He's weird. But you know what? He still had a story to tell, and God used his story. So no matter who other people or your social media looks like, just be you and tell your story, and you never know what God can do with your story. So John was a little different. And John burst onto the stage, and his, even though he's odd, even though he wasn't right there where people could easily see, hear his message, his story caught on. There's something about his story and, and what he told and the passion he told it. There was something about it that began to connect into the hearts of people, and people were hearing it, and there's something that just rang within them that said, there's something to this. And all of a sudden, people started going out to hear John the Baptist, to hear what he had to say. And, and, and the more people went, the more it impacted them, the more it kind of uh, captured their heart, and the more they tell other people. And pretty soon, it wasn't 10s and 20s and 30s and 40s of p- groups of people coming out. It was thousands of people. Thousands of people were leaving the city centers, the populated area, and going out to the middle of nowhere to sit and listen to this weird-dressed fella. Just talk. And there was something about it that was riveting. There was something about it that just you knew inside there was truth wrapped up in it. Well, this was a problem. It was a problem because of Jewish history. You see, throughout Jewish history, there had been people that were kind of like John that would step up on the stage and instead of saying, hey, someone's coming, someone's coming, someone's coming, get ready, God is about to do something. What they would step on the stage is, now is the time. For us to step up to what God has. And there's a prophecy of a Messiah would come and I am him. And there was people throughout the history of the Jews that would step up. And they themselves would proclaim themselves to be the Messiah. To be the one everyone was waiting on. And many times that would cause an uprising. And there would be bloodshed. There would be war. And maybe someone who lorded over them wouldn't like it. And it was, just, it was always a problem when it happened. And it was beginning to sound like John may be another one of those people. And this was the worst time it could have happened because they were under Roman rule. And the Jewish leaders of of the moment were allowed to lead the Jewish people. And that was the religious leaders of the day because that's who who led their culture and their society. And so the high priest and the the other other religious leaders uh, that worked with the high priest, they were allowed to kind of manage the people. The Roman government said, listen, we'll let you have a temple we'll let you reign your people because we want you to keep them in line because if you can't keep them in line we will do it and you will not like the way we do it so here is john he's going out doing his teaching out in the middle of nowhere he's not in the city and all of a sudden thousands of people are coming out there and so they're like oh my gosh 
church. What's going on? Have we got another problem? Is this going to be someone that rises up and proclaims to be the Messiah and going to get Rome all upset and Rome will kick us out? They'll come and say, you get him into control or we will. And it, it, the potential for it to be a mess was enormous. And so they decided, who is this John? Not only was the fact that, you know, it could have got Rome upset, the other part that just rubbed the religious leaders of, of the day wrong was that more people were going out to hear what John had to say than were coming to hear what they had to say. More people wanted to hear John's teaching than wanted to hear the religious leaders' teaching. More people wanted to spend time in the wilderness than wanted to spend time in the temple. So with all these coming together, they were very disturbed by this guy named John the Baptist. So the high priest and the other uh, leaders, higher-level leaders, said this, let's send some low-level priests. Let's let some low-level temple people out into the desert to figure out what is the agenda of this John the Baptist guy. And they did it for two reasons. Let's send them out there because, after all, it's in the desert. We don't want to go. The high priest and the other higher-level uh, people of the temple, religious leaders, they, they didn't leave the city. They rarely left the temple. If you wanted to talk to them, you came to them because they were so important. And that's out in the desert. And so we don't even leave the city. We rarely leave the temple. We ain't going out there. So let's send some lower-level people plus... If we go out there, it will give him status, you know, because we make people come to us. If John wants, John should be coming in here and getting our approval. We're not going to go out there because that will just make him look like he's somebody important. So let's send the lower level folks out. So they send some little people out to ask questions. And uh, you can almost sense, you know, John's out there doing his thing, looking kind of rough. And then uh, these officials from the temple come in. And they're dressed in temple gear. They're not even like, not only John the Baptist, they're not like most people because they're from the temple. And that was the power source. That was the power source. So they'd have all their little temple stuff and they would walk through it. And people were like, oh, some guys from the temple are here. Look, hanging out. This, this ought to be kind of interesting and everything. So, and the feeling you get in John chapter 1 is that John looks up and he sees them. He sees them in the crowd. They stand out. They begin to kind of come toward him a little bit. And he knows what they're thinking. Probably a lot of people in the crowd were thinking, you know, are you going to be like a lot of these other people of the past and say you're the Messiah? Are you, and some probably was one, was, were wondering, are you the Messiah? Is that, your, uh, is that what you're getting ready to say? It's coming, it's coming, he's coming, it's coming, and I'm him. Is that, and he, no doubt he knew that the folks coming from the temple were going to ask that question. So before they could even ask it, he answers their question. John chapter 1, down in verse number 19. It says this, now, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him, who is this? He did not uh, fail to confess, but confessed freely, I'm not the Messiah. So before they even ask, they're coming up, he's just saying, oh, let me tell you right up front, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not one of those guys like in the past. I'm not here to cause an uprising. I'm not here for everyone to come in and, and, and worship me like you've seen in the past. It's fallen apart. That's not what's going on here. So before you even ask, no, I'm not proclaiming to be the Messiah. Verse 21. It says, they, uh, they asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? There was a teaching in the Jewish people that before the Messiah would come, they took this and took some teaching and, and misinterpreted it, that, that, that Elijah be reincarnated. That that would be the one who would tell about Jesus coming as Elijah the great prophet would be reincarnated. So, okay, okay, if you're not the Messiah, 
lot of people, something's happening here. So are you claiming to be Elijah reincarnated? And he goes, and he says, I am not. He says, are you the prophet? There was another teaching in Jewish tradition up until that point was that this mega prophet would come to be before the Messiah would come and, and he would get everybody roused up and get everybody going there and, and it'd be this mega prophet that everybody would agree with, you know? And that's not what was going to happen. And he says, are you the prophet? He answered no. So he said, listen, I, I, I'm not any of that. I'm not, I'm not coming up here to try to get my position or find a way to get some prestige. Listen, I just came out here and because I, was, I understood God has done something and I know what's about to happen. God is about to do something. And I'm just a simple man coming out here saying, get ready, get ready. God's about to do something. God is about to do something brand new. Verse 23. John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I'm the voice of one calling out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. So these guys are saying, okay. So you, what are you saying? And John said, I'm just setting the stage. I, that's all I'm doing. I'm, I'm just getting things ready. I'm just trying to get people's attention so they'll listen. So when, they, when he shows up, we're ready. That's all, that's all I'm, I'm trying to do. Verse 24. Now the Pharisees who had been uh, sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you're not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And they say, they say okay, okay. Well, then, you know, why all this? You know, what's the purpose? To what end are you doing all this? You've got to tell us something because we've got to go back and give a report. And we don't want to go back and say, hey, we can tell you who he's not, but we still really don't know who he is. So to what end is all this? What's the purpose of all that you're doing out here then, John? Verse 26. I baptize with water, replied John. But among you stands one you do not know. He's the one who comes after me. The straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He says, I I know I know it may look like I'm a big deal. Look at this. Look at all these people that come out to a desert to listen to a guy in camel's hair, dirty, you know, chomping down on locusts and honey. You know, it's weird, and, but yet they're here. You know, and it's got your attention. And I know that all makes it sound like I'm a big deal. But I tell you, I'm a nobody. Compared to the one that's coming I'm a nobody. See, I, I, I have all these, these peoples here, and my, my, my heart is just to capture their attention so that I can redirect the attention. But compared to the one that is coming, I'm not, he, he is so far beyond me. I'm not even worthy to untie the sandals that... that that, that are worn on his dirty feet. So, confused a little bit, they go back and they report to the high priest and the other high officials of the temple. Hey, we, we, we can tell you who he's not. We're, not. we're not real sure yet who he is. And so the high priest and the other ones are frustrated. We got to figure this guy out because we can't just let this loose cannon out there in the desert. We got to figure out. And listen, 
If you got to do something right, do it yourself, right? Well, fine, then we'll just go out there. He may be able to sidestep you and, and, and kind of avoid answering your questions, but he won't be able to avoid answering ours. We'll go. This was a big deal, you know? They'd go out and get in their caravan of black SUVs and police escort and all their officials and head out, stop in the intersection. Of course, not really, but it would have been equivalent to that. That's, that's the kind of spectacle it would have been. They would have gone out with some type of caravan and it would have been noticed and they would have servants and everything because this was the high priest. This was the guy that was closest to God in their mind. And it would have been extremely noticed, chaotic. It would have been a spectacle heading out. Again, you can almost just picture it, right? Them heading out. All these people, those left, we're back to this. John is teaching and everything, and here they come. And hear the mumblings of the crowd as people begin to notice, look who's coming. All the entourage gets up, and they get out in all their priestly attire and begin to walk in the middle of the people. People getting by. We don't ever see these guys outside the temple, hardly. We never see them outside the city. This ought to be good, right? Can't wait to see what happens here. John may have met his match. So, Matthew, again, you can almost sense... John looking up, and here they are, coming down. Gonna, he knows they're going to question him. They knows, and he's just, he knows what they represent and how they've taken what is true and altered it and to, their, uh, to their advantage and to their power, and you can almost sense him kind of just rumbling with a little bit of disdain. He knows that they've come down to discredit him to show that they're in control and they're powerful, to call him on the carpet, at least to get him to acknowledge, I need your blessing to continue. Matthew chapter 3, verse 7 now, we see John, he speaks before they even gives them a chance. He says, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming, and they say, the Pharisees and Sadducees, if you didn't know it, didn't like each other. They couldn't stand each other. There's only two times do we see that they partnered together. It was one here to challenge John, and the other time was to crucify Jesus Christ. But they were, they were unified over, we've got to handle John. And when, we, and when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers. And then he becomes sarcastic. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Now, he knew what he'd been saying all the time is, hey, you know, you don't want to be caught on the, on the opposite side, not recognizing God who's coming. You don't want to be in a situation where God shows up and does his thing and you're on the outside, so you need to get your heart ready. Get ready, get ready, get ready. That's been his message constantly. Get ready, get ready. He's coming, get ready, he's coming. And so he's acting like they're coming down to get ready, that they're coming to John and say, oh, you're right, John, we need to get ready. So he says, oh, and who called you to come? To get yourself where you will, you will flee from the coming wrath. There's those who, who fail to understand who Jesus is and what he's about to do. He's being sarcastic with them. And John has been saying there's something new coming, something new coming. Get ready, get ready, get ready. And when he saw them, he just represented everything that was against that. He saw some men coming that were drunk on their own arrogance and goodness. John is basically saying, get ready. 
Very soon are the days coming that performance-based religion, what these guys represent, is over. The days are coming when, when, when the kind of living where you could just do the rituals of the temple, as long as you're dead, then you could go and live any way you want to live. Those days are over. The days of low compassion religion are over. That's what these guys did. They loved to use the law to lord over people. There was little compassion in the religion of the Jewish leaders at this day. The days of only the high priest mattering are over. John says, there's a day coming very soon that all of that is coming to an end. And the religious leaders got mad and they just left. And the next day, what John said was coming happened. I just wonder what that was like. John had been so passionate that he would go toe-to-toe, wouldn't even back down when the threat, when it was a very real threat of the, of the religious leaders stood right in his face in front of everybody. And he was so passionate going day after day out there, not giving up his message, not giving up his passion and saying, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming, get ready, get ready, please get ready, he's coming. And then that day comes, not announced, unknown. He looks up and his eyes catch this average, just by himself figure walking. Now, think about Jesus' arrival. Think about how different it was from the arrival of the high priest. And here comes Jesus, God in human form. And their eyes meet. Imagine the, the chills that must have engulfed his body. Imagine what it was like for him in that moment when the person that he had been talking and almost screaming about, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. There he is. Verse 29, John chapter 1. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look. All those people had been looking at John. John had gathered so much attention. And now what does he do? He redirects that attention away from him onto Jesus. He says, look. Now think about, he's talking to Jewish people, how this would have resonated with them. Look, the Lamb of God. Now everyone, when he said the Lamb, he could have just said the Lamb, everyone would have connected with that instantly because for them and their fathers and their grandfathers and their fathers and their fathers and their fathers, it had always been this way, this sacrificial system. They understood that man was sinful, sin separated them from God, and sin requires a penalty. That penalty had to be paid. And God said, hey, I'll give you a system. You can sacrifice one of your best lambs, and that will serve payment for sin. My holiness will be, will be satisfied for the moment by that payment, and they would do it for their house and their family, and the priest would do it for the nation. They understood that's what a lamb was all about. Here is the lamb. They're saying, wait, 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 wait. You mean the lamb is now a person? So that means this old way of doing it is about to be gone? And then he didn't just say that. Here's the lamb. He said, the lamb of God. It had always been in the past that you would have to give a lamb to sacrifice as a gift to God, as a sacrifice to God for your sin. Now you're saying that he, God, is going to be the lamb. 
And the lamb is not provided by me anymore. The lamb is provided by God himself. This is mind-blowing. This is changing everything. Look, the lamb of God. And then he just went over the top. Who takes away the sin of the world. Hold on, John. You see, our whole history was marked with us separating ourselves from the world. It has always been about us, the Jewish people, and everybody else. It had always been about the people who are under the covenant of God and the rest of the world. It has always been God is for us and God is against everybody else. Now you're telling us that God is going to do something that's completely different than we've ever realized or known. And it's not just something new. It is something so radical that he's going to totally uproot the past and replace it with something so, so grace and forgiving. That's what you're saying, John? That God is going to extend his hand of grace to a world that's not reaching up for it and doesn't deserve it? Yes. You see, Jesus is coming to do something brand new. You see, the old way was this. If you wanted to connect with the hand of God, you first would have to become a Jew. And the reason you become a Jew is you become part of God's covenant people and you would obey all the rules and all the regulations and all the things that you were supposed to do and you work really, 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 really hard to be a great Jew. And that working to be a great Jew would be evidence. It's the sign. It is the reaching up to God and saying, God, and when God looked down at you, when he saw all that you did, their teaching was, then maybe, then maybe, God would reach back down to you. So you had to become a Jew. You had to come under the covenant. And you had to work real hard at being a good Jew. You had to reach up to him first. And maybe, just maybe, you would find him reaching back. But Jesus came and replaced all that with something brand new. You see, what Jesus brought was this. That when you come to a place where you realize that you need help, when you come to that place where you're hurting and you realize you need healing, when you come to that place that you realize you need to be restored, when, when your heart is hurting and it's, and it's lost, and you feel helpless and hopeless and broken, no matter your background. And in that moment, you just reach out up to Him out of desperation of that moment where you realize, I just need help. When you reach up in that moment of desperation, what you discover from the grace of Jesus Christ is you discover that before you ever reached up, God was reaching down to you first. It had never been that way before. And that's why John was saying, get ready, get ready, get ready. Jesus isn't, isn't just 
updating Judaism. Jesus isn't just giving us some refreshing our religious system. Jesus isn't coming and just giving us a new set of moral code to live by. He's coming to uproot everything that was and giving us something brand new. And it was at this moment that Jesus' road journey to the cross began. He came to do something brand new. And the brand new thing is, regardless of who you are, where you are, where you've been, or your background, the minute you reach up to Him, you will discover that He is reaching down to you and was doing so long before you even looked up for 